Abstract Athlete Podcast, where art and sports collide. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Abstract Athlete Podcast. Check out our website, artistathletebox.com or theabstractathlete.com as we just kicked off our seasonal subscription boxes. So make sure to start your subscription today. Also check out our website or beginningintoys.com for our Percy King Collaborative Stacked Puzzle Art Kits. Make sure to listen to the other podcasts on the Abstract Athlete Network, the Abstract Doctors Podcast, and the Abstract Veterans Podcast. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, please send it to info at theabstractathlete.com. Epic podcast today as I get to speak with artist and painter, diversity and social justice advocate, and former Vanderbilt University wide receiver, James Thrillkill. Make sure to follow James on Instagram at JamesThrillKillArt or on Twitter at ThrillArt. Want to also thank our mutual friend and former podcast guest, Andrew Marinus, for the connection. Let's welcome James Thrillkill. There we go. Hey, man. <laughs> How you doing? Man, I'm doing fantastic. That's awesome. That's what I like to hear. Yes, sir. Well, it is an absolute pleasure to meet you. Um, I know I'm already recording, by the way. Um, our okay. friend Andrew Marinus connected us, but I had actually, just to give you a backstory, uh, <clears throat> you you have done some stuff with Vanderbilt um, Athletic Department. You did something, I think, right before we did something. I think we did something mm-hmm. in 2019. I think you did something in 2018 or something. And while mm-hmm. we were in um, in Nashville, uh, saw some of your work actually at a local oh, okay. at a local gallery. And then they actually mentioned who you were and stuff. And I was like, "Oh, this person's perfect." So I've, it's kind of a full oh, wow. circle of trying to finally get in touch with you and be able to do this. Um, and it's absolutely a thrill because I think what you've done. And what we're mm. trying to do, like very much align in terms of talking about physical activity, talking about creative activity, community, mm-hmm. all these different things. And mm. doing research on you was fascinating, man. It is like mm. it was really cool to um, to just see all the amazing thing that that you've done, and excited about seeing where what you're going to do. Um, and so I don't know where I always have this problem of where to start, um, at the beginning, but like, I, you know, make, maybe get into like, like you grew up an athlete, like, um, like I think you said, I read something that your dad was like really a big fan of the NBA and the NFL. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you, so you played sports growing up and then like, you really got noticed for lack of a better way to say it, like your junior year in high school, um, through, right. through basketball and football and ended up going to Vanderbilt and playing football on, on scholarship, playing football at Vanderbilt as a wide receiver. Um, mm-hmm. but what I find cool, like one of the things I'm a teacher, I, I, I'm at Virginia Commonwealth university and I've actually in mm-hmm. line of with the abstract athlete have started a, um, program called art and athletics. Where, mm-hmm. And so a lot of student athletes actually take my class and it gives them that kind of permission to be creative, but you actually mm-hmm. went to school for art. And I think that's, mm-hmm. it's, I was a student athlete at Ohio state and I can't even imagine taking art because just the time mm-hmm. constraints. Um, so maybe get into that as well, but like, I don't know, like talk about your, like your youth and growing up as, as an artist athlete, because you really truly did both at a high level. Right. Thank you. Well, First of all, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the invitation to uh, be on your uh, podcast. Um, you know, it begins with um, me growing up in the um, J.C. Napier public housing community in South Nashville. And that was during a time where we didn't consider ourselves poor because everybody took pride in their neighborhood and communities and that type of thing. And so Napier School was the local elementary school. And so my first grade teacher contacted my mom and said that James is drawing in class all day. And I was drawing football, man. That's what I was drawing. (laughs) 
And I would have a guy running the ball and then tacklers coming from out of space to tackle him. And, that kind of thing. <laughs> and so she saw something in that. And uh, when she alerted my mom to, she said, he's going to be an artist. And so my mom made sure that I had all the materials that I needed to uh, continue that interest in art. She enrolled me in art classes, but she said, you know, it's okay to draw, but your academics are really important too. So you still have to do your schoolwork. So just make sure you, you know, keep a good balance between the two. And so from there, I had great elementary school teachers. My third grade teacher was doing a school play with different students in her class. And she had students to portray individuals that were based on their interests. And so she said, James, uh, in this play, you're going to play Henry O. Tanner. Now go and do research and find out who he is. And that's who you're going to be in this uh, school play. Now, of course, I couldn't get on the internet, so I had to go grab an encyclopedia <laughs> and do research on Henry Osawa Tanner. He was the first Black artist that I became aware of, and he had this incredible painting called The Banjo Lesson, where yep. this um, gentleman had this kid on his lap. And so uh, I became fascinated with the realism style that he was painting in. And as I did more research, I found out that he would enter art shows, and then when they found out that he was a Black artist, they would disqualify him. So he ultimately had to move to Europe, where he gained immense fame, and then the U.S. was ready to embrace him. And so when I turned 13, my mom bought me my first oil painting set, and I was on my way at that point. And so in high school, continued to have great art teachers. And so... I was wondering how I was going to go to school to study art. I was the oldest of six kids. We didn't have a lot of money in the household. And I was horrible in sports. And so after the eighth grade, our family moved to East Nashville because in, in South Nashville, this guy picked me for his basketball team one time at the community center. And I called myself trying to guard a guy and I bumped foreheads with him. <laughs> and he called me everything under the sun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, baby, this sport is not for me. And so, you know, um, I had a sixth grade teacher who uh, was an incredible teacher. He made algebra competitive, taught us black history and all of that. But then he would go out on the recess field and quarterback for both teams. And he had this great arm. And so he would say, three or kill, run down the field. I'm going to throw you this pass. And so he threw these wonderful spirals that I could just run up under and catch. And so I just loved being a receiver for him. And so when we moved to East Nashville, I said, okay, nobody knows me. Nobody knows I'm a scrub. <laughs> we had a basketball goal right outside of our um, apartment. We had moved into our second public housing community in Nashville and we, uh, I just stayed out there all night. I said, I'm going to teach myself how to play basketball. And so at that time, uh, East High School had um, brought all the ninth graders in the community. They uh, stopped Megs from being a high school in East Nashville. And so all the ninth graders went to East Junior High School. And so I tried out for sports. Um, we had a coach, man. We were so incredible in the ninth grade. We were unbeaten in football and basketball. But uh, on the first day of basketball tryouts, there were at least 75 guys in the gym. Wow. And the coach was running drills, and guys were shooting the ball over the backboard and missing <laughs> layups and all of that. So with the little practice that I had done, I had made sure that I made every layup and <laughs> tried to be really focused with my shooting. Ten minutes into that tryout, the coach blew the whistle <laughs> And he ran about 50 guys out of the gym. <laughs> he said, what? Get out of here. I don't even know why you came down here. And uh, so I'm like, okay, please, if this man throws me out of the gym, my sports career is over with. And so the next day he had a list posted on the trophy case of the people who made the team. And my name was on that list. And you're talking about a sigh of relief. And so, of course, I didn't get into the game until it was mop-up time because we had these incredible players uh, on our team at that time. And so 
play football, play basketball, bench warmer in both cases, and then moved on to the 10th grade and still riding the bench, you know, excellent athletes on the team. And so uh, all of a sudden I had this growth spurt between the 10th and 11th grade. I went from like six feet to six, four. And so during preseason basketball practice, uh, one of the um, starters got hurt. And so the coach had to turn to me to uh, fill that void. But I actually had to play a guy one-on-one to win the last uniform for the basketball team. Uh, in football, I you know didn't get to play much. And so going into the 11th grade, I got thrust into that basketball game. And that first game, I had about seven points. And so the coach said, why aren't you shooting? I said, I thought you wanted me to pass it to the stars. He said, no, I put you in there to shoot. And so the next game, I broke out for 21 points. Uh, And I was on my way. And so in football, uh, 11th grade, we had what was known as the B team. And uh, we had our own little separate set of games from the varsity. And this coach... I'm still friends with him today. He was a, he was our track coach. He said, uh, I'm going to let Thrill Kill start at receiver for the B team. Now, the B team is like, you know, you're the scrub team. And our coach, Vic Barella, at the time, we used to have these pep rallies. And they would introduce all the football players in front of the whole student body. He'd be like, Ricky Cole, quarterback, <laughs> Floyd Hughes, running back. And then – he called James Thrillkill beat teamer. <laughs> I was like, I was like, Coach King, you just call my name and I say I'm a beat teamer. <laughs> James Thrillkill beat teamer. And so anyway, we had this beat team football game, and the quarterback threw two long passes, and I caught both of them for touchdowns. And so after that, I was on my way to being a um, star wide receiver at East High School, ended up making um, All-State, All-American, won the Hume Award, uh, made All-District in basketball. And then the uh, track coach tracked me down because after football and basketball season, I was ready to be done. (laughs) He said, man, we need you. He (laughs) said, we need you on the track team. I hated hated track practice. All you did was run. And so he saw something in me, and I ended up being a uh, top 880 distance runner on the track team. So uh, it was at that point that uh, Steve Sloan and Bill Parcells, the defensive coordinator for Vanderbilt, were at Vandy, and they sent a guy to look at a running back on our team. We were scrimmaging uh, over to high school. And during that scrimmage, I had a breakout game uh, catching passes. And so they were like, who is this guy right here, you know? And so that's how they ended up recruiting me. And so by then, uh, I was being recruited by uh, Lee Corso, who was at Indiana University, Arizona State, Notre Dame, uh, MTSU, Big John Merritt from Tennessee State. Big John sent two tall Jones and all these big dudes to my house to try. That's where Eddie George is now, right? Yeah, that's where Eddie George is coaching. John Merritt was a legend. Yep. I mean, when you're talking about some of the greatest players to come out of Tennessee State who went to the NFL. And so uh, I was just really impressed with Coach Sloan and um, Coach Parcells and uh, ended up, you know, choosing Vanderbilt partly because I wanted to play locally so my family could see me play. But uh, I made it to the Tennessee All-Star Game, East-West All-Star Game, and I mean – some of the best guys that I met down there, I found out were all coming to Vandy. So we had a pretty significant freshman class coming in. But uh, this was mid seventies, nineteen seventy four, and so uh, after Vandy had, uh, you know, signed all his recruits, there was an article in the local paper, the Tennessean, that said Vandy signs ten blacks, uh-huh. and that was a headline back then, just to show you what the times were like back yep. then. And so uh, our freshman year. I mean, we had people like Dennis Harrison from Murfreesboro who ended up being an all-pro for the Philadelphia Eagles. Yep. Uh, Brenard Wilson. Uh, David Culley was a quarterback on the team who coached the uh, Houston Texans. Yep. And so uh, it was an incredible group of athletes. Walter Overton from Pearl High School. And so we went to the Peach Bowl our freshman year. Uh, and after that game, Coach Sloan left to go coach the team that we played against, Texas Tech. 
And then they brought in uh, Fred Pankos from Memphis State to coach. And so my second year, uh, that's when I got injured. I had yeah. never broken a bone before in my life. Uh, I had moved up. They switched me to tight end from wide receiver with my little skinny behind. <laughs> and so we were in preseason practice. I caught a pass, and I was made it down to the two-yard line. I made it up to number two on the depth chart at tight end. And so in high school, I was that guy that said, you know, one guy is not going to bring me down. It yeah. usually took two or three guys to bring me down. Nobody told me that in college it's a different story. <laughs> if, if a guy if a guy comes up on you, man, you better go down. Yeah. So here I am trying to struggle to stay up with these, I mean, second in the country defensive secondary that Vandy had at the time. And three guys tried to go their own separate ways with my body. And so I ended up breaking an ankle, breaking my leg, and tearing ligaments all in the oh. same injury. And so I had to have two surgeries. I came back, but I was never the same person that I was before that injury. And so, of course, my mother's words rung in my ear. You know, um, you can't put all your eggs in your athletic basket. What happens if you get injured? And sure enough, she told me that before I left for school. And so I said, okay, I'm going to keep playing, but I need to focus on my art. And so, um, you know, I just um, put all my energy not only into finishing playing because, you know, even though I didn't get an NFL tryout, I did try out for the USFL at the time, the Birmingham Stallions, and made it to the last cut. But not having that speed that I had before as a wide receiver really cut down my chances. But, you know, I was the prototype tall wide receiver. Otis Taylor, who recently passed. With yep. Kansas City was my idol, man. I patterned myself after him. They even called me Otis Taylor in high school. And that's why I wore the number 89. And so uh, it was really sad hear about hearing about his passing recently. But yep. that's who I patterned myself after. So I was really um, kind of that Harold Carmichael, uh, Otis Taylor him. type of wide receiver. Oh. Yeah, long before uh, Megatron and, yep. you know, all those guys who are now – uh, you know, known for being those Randy Moss type of receivers. And so, um, you know, I used my jumping ability from playing basketball to go up and get the ball. And once I jumped up for it, man, nobody was going to come down with it but me, you know. Yep. And it's, so, it's interesting. I, you know, I was going to say it's interesting to hear, like, your mom say that. Cause my mom kind of did a lot of the same thing because I was an athlete. Like, and you probably had that same thing. You were defined as an athlete growing up. I mean, in, mm-hmm. you know, the later right. high school. And the fact that she had that, that vision to say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Like it was kind right. of the same for me. And it's because you just never know when it's going to end. Like if, even if you're the highest level oh, athlete, you know, right. like, I mean, look at Tom Brady, like what he just retired, who knows if he'll stay re- retired, but right. I mean, <laughs> right. he's 46, he still has a half of a life left. And it's like yeah. to, to be able to like have like this creativity within your bag uh for lack of a better mm-hmm. way to say it is so mm-hmm. important like i just i like i th- i think that's like amazing and and also just to go back to what you were saying earlier to have teachers be so mm-hmm. impactful in your life i think you know that's no question. I, I, I i'm always trying to be you know I'm, I'm not saying that i am but i always try to be there for students like and hold myself accountable and and really mm-hmm. encourage them to be i'm not saying you have to be a, a professional artist but if you have some sort of creative sense, it's going to help you in the world because no it question. promotes critical thinking. And it's, it's just, absolutely. I just, I, I love that the, those stories you're telling because it, it really resonates with me because some of that is like the stuff that I went through and some of that's the stuff that I try to project. Absolutely. Ron. And the thing is I do a lot of uh, presentations for youth and different audiences. And when I'm talking about my, uh, evolution as an artist, I always mention those teachers who had an impact on my life. And so kudos to you for being considerate enough to teach. But teachers have such an impact on our development. I mean, I tell people all the time that, you know, we pay athletes millions of dollars for throwing passes and dunking basketballs. But what about the people who taught them how to count and how to speak and, you know, how to write? I mean, that value is even more profound than what we grow into as 
adults, but there was somebody who had to shape and guide that for them. And so it's really unfortunate that teachers are undervalued in terms of just pay and the things that they have to put up with in terms of all the different dynamics you're dealing with with students uh, on a daily basis oh, in a class. It's, it's getting, I mean, uh, there's a, a deficit. Like I think less and less mm-hmm. people are teaching. I think you're right because you can barely survive, you know, like in, in and it's, but it is like, it's, I think back like your story about having an art teacher. I think back about my high school art teacher and, you know, I was an athlete. I was a quarterback. I was mm-hmm. a baseball player. I played basketball mm-hmm. and like, she saw something in me. Like, and I remember we, we had, it was the first um, digital art class. This is like 1987, 86, 87. And mm-hmm. she invited me to into this class. And like, here I am with all the, you know, air quotes, all the art students. And they're like looking right. at me like, who, the, what the hell is this athlete doing in this space? You know? Right. But she right. like, and I always appreciate that mm-hmm. fact that she gave me that space. And, and it, because mm-hmm. it, it, built that foundation same no question about it yep and And, you know that that confidence is really important because you know with the cliches that exist about the the weird artists or the starving (laughs) artists and that type of thing um my teachers gave me the confidence that it was something special just like my parents let me know that but even when i was um in school and college i had to go to the coaches and say okay the same money that you give my teammates to get books and notebook paper and that kind of thing. I need paintbrushes and canvases and other materials. And they were like, Oh, I guess so. You know, they didn't, it didn't even register with them that that was part of it. But to your point, you know, creative exploration helps students think creatively in other areas of their lives, whether it's math or science or just the way they look at situations and try to, you know, resolve scenarios. So that creative component gets undervalued too many times when they're looking at funding cuts. It's like the the arts programs are the first things that they want to cut when it really should be the last because it Absolutely. really yes. <laughs> I say that all the time. Sorry to interrupt, but I right. say that all no, the time. No question. Right. Right. It, 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 it contributes to the wholesome, well-rounded development of an individual to think creatively. So, you know, I try to continue to you know, promote that message because it's so important. Yep. Come train with us. Creative and athletic training in a box filled with art and sports products, tips and techniques, recipes and collectibles that promote mental and physical wellness the seasonal artist athlete box is the next step to a healthier you stop by artistathletebox.com or the abstractathlete.com and subscribe today the abstract athlete where art and sports collide No, I have a I I um I had Don Hasselbeck on the podcast um and we mm-hmm. we do some stuff with him and he probably was around he might be a little older than you I think he's a little mm-hmm. older than you. but he he was telling me this fun he's grew up in um in Cincinnati I think Ohio where mm-hmm. I'm from Columbus so I actually used to trick mm-hmm. or treat for Morty Hayes he lived in my hometown and <laughs> but he told me this story about being recruited by Ohio State and going going to Ohio state and sitting in Woody Hayes's office and, and Woody mm. was like, what do you, what do you want to do in college? And he was like, well, I want to be an artist. And he said, he sat there and he kind of rolled his chair back and he yelled down the hallway. is like, Hey, whatever the coach's name was, who do we know in the art department? And I was like, that's, I mean, that's actually, I appreciate that because back right. then like right. a, a lot of coaches, I mean, like I always felt awkward in my, like, because I was creative in, in, mm-hmm. in being, being an, artist in my athletic space where I think it's finally getting better. Like one of the things that I find, and you probably working with Vanderbilt in different ways, because you just had an exhibit out of Mm -hmm. Vanderbilt basketball game. I just think that Mm -hmm. promotes again, like, Hey, I did this, but I also do this. And like, that's part of what what we're trying to do is like knocking down those walls. It's like, 
Yeah, I mean, it's like we, we, you know, we work with Tony Mandrich. You know, he's a big, huge, three hundred pound guy. But he makes these beautiful photographs, and to me, it's like mm-hmm. when he walks into a room, like you know who he is. But then you see his photographs, mm-hmm. and it gives people permission to be creative, which I think is a big, big thing. No question. And I always think back to Mike Reed, who played for the Cincinnati yep. Bengals. Yep. He showed the. Uh, courage to sit down at a piano and show that he could be a, a an astute musician being in such a brute sport like football. That sent a huge message throughout society that, yeah, these guys might, you know, play a certain sport, but that they also, um, you know, can be involved in something as special as Whoops. Can you hear me? Yep, I got you. Okay. And so um, after that, for me, it was um, Bernie Casey, the wide receiver for the Los Angeles Rams, who started doing art exhibits. And again, it was another situation where here was an athlete who showed the delicacy of painting on canvas. And uh, one of my favorites is uh, Ernie Barnes, the lineman for the Rams who did the paintings for the Good Times television series yep. and for Marvin Gaye's I Want You album. Yep. You know, when I saw that, I'm like, man, you talking about as an athlete having confidence to show that you can do that creative stuff, man, those those guys sealed the deal in terms of my opinion. Yep. No, it's it's funny, like you, you said that because I, I love those the Ernie Ernie's paintings. Like those those are just <laughs> stunning. And like like that was one of the things I like, it's a nice little twist here. Uh, like mm-hmm. you've had, you've had some art in some amazing, cool places and you've mm-hmm. had like these, these um, memories. I think that for lack of a better way to say it, like you met Nelson Mandela because you did a right. painting of him. Like for me, it's like you, you know, looking at your work, like it's very vibrant. It's very like, there's so much movement in them. Um, mm-hmm. like you're like, do you think that you're of yourself as a storyteller through your visuals? Because that's the way that I receive it. Like, I don't know if that's, it doesn't matter if you, you do or not, but like, I, like, I take these things in like, as just these, they're, they're obviously like static. They're, they're not moving, but mm-hmm. the way that you paint them, there's so much joy, so much like love and so much uh, like, I feel like I'm in a moment, like in a story. Like, is that is that how you kind of think about them? Absolutely. And that's a great observation because uh, I definitely consider myself a storyteller. And usually when I'm doing presentations, that's one of the things that people um, talk about aside from the work is just the stories that I tell. Because, you know, uh, I always say that when civilizations are studied. One of the things that you look at when you're studying a particular uh, past civilization is the art from that period. And the artists are more or less the storytellers of that era by documenting things that took place during that time. So I always felt a a certain responsibility as an artist to make sure that when people view my work, they're going to be inspired, uplifted, uh, be able to reminisce about something that took place in their childhood, um, a, you know, a painting of a child getting their hair braided on the front porch. I can't tell you the number of people who have said that reminds them of their childhood. And then the other thing about it, when you look at images historically, there was just such uh, a lot of blatant caricatures when you talked about the portrayal of uh, African-Americans in the media with the watermelons and the big lips and all of that kind of stuff. So I think I also was just uh, motivated to make sure that when people saw the images that I painted, that they were positive images that uh, people could feel good about. But I learned uh, another important lesson after I graduated from Vandy. I had an aunt who lived in Chicago. And so um I moved up there trying to get away from Nashville, which was incredibly slow in terms of trying to pursue an art career. And so she arranged for me to have an interview at Ebony Jet Magazine, largest Black-owned publication in the world. And so I had this huge portfolio, way too big, got 
city bus bumping people upside the head, and they were probably like, who is this country bumpkin? Welcome to Chicago. <laughs> right. Who is this clown on the bus with this big old portfolio? So I make my way down to Ebony Jet's offices, and I go into the art director's office, Herbert Temple, and I lay my portfolio out in front of him, and he's and I'm just waiting for him to tell me how good my work is. So he looked at about four or five pieces, and he said, um, hmm, I have a question for you. He said, why are all your images black? And in my mind, I'm like, okay, I thought I saw Ebony Jet on the front of this building. <laughs> <laughs> That's the last question I was thinking. So I tried to structure some kind of profound answer like, well, you know, I'm proud of my people and yep. I'm trying to portray. <laughs> he was like, he said, man, you're too talented to limit yourself in your imagery. He said, you got to show you can paint anything. Because yeah. he said, once you do that, he said, your client base will expand exponentially. And so instead of puffing my chest out, I said, oh, man, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm getting, I'm leaving. I said, sir, thank you for that advice. I appreciate it. And I said, I will immediately apply it to my process. And he was prophetic because I have portraits of people that I've done of all ethnicities. I've done landscapes that have ended up in Disney movies and yep. I've painted fruit and animals. And I mean, he was just, you know, astute enough to say to, to me that, yeah, you're talented, but you know, if you just show that you can only paint one thing, you're going to miss out on a lot of opportunities. And so he's deceased now, but I still tell that story because he just really, steered me in a direction that made a huge difference in terms of the uh, success of my art career. And then when you talk about the situation in South Africa, uh, I had uh, met a young lady who was working for Warner Brothers Records. And um, I had shown them the painting that I had done of Nelson Mandela, which I'd hit, I created in 1990 when he was released in, yep. in, from prison. Because I learned about you know, what was going on in South Africa from Gil Scott Heron, who I was a big fan of. Oh, yeah. So when Mandela was released, they had a photo of him in the USA Today of him coming out of prison with his fist raised. And so I painted it, man. I was just so inspired by the fact that he was now released from prison and getting ready to become president. And so when I met this uh, lady working for Warner Brothers Records, I showed her that painting and they just happened to know a colleague who was from South Africa. So they sent a picture of the photo of Mandela to him. And he sent it to uh, the uh, director of arts on Mandela's cabinet in South Africa. They responded that that was the best portrayal of Nelson Mandela they had ever seen. And so it just so happened that they were getting ready to embark on a project where American musicians and South African musicians were going to come together to do a music project to pay tribute to the freedom fighters in South Africa. And they asked me if I would consider doing the album cover for that project. But then to take it a step further, they said, well, you know, we see that you've um, been involved in a mural program over in the Edge Hill community where you took the kids in that neighborhood and won an Emmy Award with the work that you all were doing with the different murals that you did. So they said, would you happen to consider traveling to South Africa to work with some students over there to uh, do a project like that? <laughs> I mean, when you talk about an answer coming from the depth of your diaphragm, <laughs> I, mean, I said yes before my lips could even form yes. And so it was just an amazing opportunity to travel to Africa, which had been a goal. I always wanted to, you know, travel to Africa. And there was this community center, uh, community college in the heart of Soweto. And these students were there doing studying music. I mean, just doing all these incredible things. And so uh, I designed the mural where I had uh, Mandela, Bishop Tutu, Steve Biko, multi-ethnic people celebrating, you know, the end of apartheid. And it was just an incredible experience. And so one of the musicians that uh, was involved in the project was a very popular bassist who uh, had traveled with Dizzy Gillespie, he was a native South African. And so they were having a concert 
uh, in Soweto to celebrate Nelson Mandela's first trip back to Soweto after becoming president. And so we were on stage uh, behind Nelson Mandela sitting on the front row. And so Ray Peary, who worked with Paul Simon on the Graceland project, yeah. didn't get credit for it. But uh, he said it was an empty seat behind Mandela. He said, Jeans, go show Mandela the painting. And so I go up and sit behind, the, sit behind Nelson Mandela, band playing to my left, tap him on the shoulder, and he doesn't say anything. He just turns around and does that <laughs> and back around. And so I look, I hightailed I it back to my seat. And I told my group, I said, oh, my gosh, I've come all the way over here and insulted the president of South Africa. <laughs> so the band stopped playing, and I saw him turn to these two bodyguards that were uh, three times my size, and they started looking around as if they were looking for somebody. And they saw me and pointed and started coming back toward me. And so I told my group, I said, well, I guess I'm going to get that South African necktie. <laughs> they don't look too happy. They came back to where I was sitting. I said, oh, my God, I'm coming to South Africa to get killed. Oh, he said, the president will see you now. I go back up there and get in that seat behind him. And he turns around and says, it would have been rude yeah. to talk while the band was playing. Now that they are taking a break, I will speak with you. And so I told them, you know, we were over there doing a mural project with students in Soweto. We were going to hang the mural in the Regina Mundi Church where him and Biko planned freedom meetings. And the kids were going to be on TV with press conferences and media and all of that. And I mean, he thanked us for being there. And it was just an amazing moment. So look, this was before digital photography. So when I got to the stadium, and could see Mandela a hundred feet away, I'm clicking like crazy <laughs> with my little box Kodak camera. So when the musician uh, said, we're gonna sit on stage with Mandela, and I was like four rows back from Mandela, I shot my camera up thinking, click, 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 this yep. is the closest I'm gonna ever get to him. So while I'm up there talking to him, Ray Perry comes up and says, James, let me take your picture. You didn't have no day. pictures left. I'm like, dude, I shot all my film up. He said, he said why you big? He called me the biggest dummy. Yeah. He said, you got an opportunity. I said, well, you know, it wasn't like I could go in there and delete and yep. take pictures. But I said, it's indelibly uh, embedded right here. I mean, to meet one of the most famous individuals in the history of mankind was Absolutely. just an moment for me i mean i like that it is like he is he's literally one of the most important if not the most important person on the that has existed Absolutely. i mean Absolutely. it's you know i, I just yeah. I, again like i i just love hearing like the way that you've moved throughout your life and how mm -hmm. different things happen and um I, it's just i who like i i you've kind of said a couple a couple different people and it's something that i always like to ask and it doesn't have to be an artist, but I think probably mm -hmm. some some of that will be. But like, it, who are like influences on you? And, you know, again, like mm -hmm. you mentioned teachers, but like maybe maybe artists, maybe athletes as well. Um, just because I think, mm -hmm. like for me, it just feels like you could have a very broad list of people, like from different areas. Like, I mean, Nelson Mandela has to be on that right. list. I mean, right. absolutely, you know. absolutely. Well, you know, I I look just from my sixth grade teacher who would be one of those people because of just his um, sensitivity to making sure that students back in the sixth grade um, demanded excellence in everything that they did and wouldn't accept anything less than that. But he taught me about people like Jackie Robinson and A. Philip Randolph and, you know, individuals who, um, you know, tried to make society a better place. And then you know, I had an opportunity to meet Muhammad Ali uh, back in 1982. And, you know, it was just incredible when you think about how, you know, he uh, stood up for what he believed in and, and that type of thing. But, you know, I look at people like Bill Russell and Jim Brown and Lou Alcindor at the time and just people who, you know, just really tried to go out there and 
try to create opportunities for a better society, which and is I, what. I, like, not to interrupt, but I think that you're you're continuing that work because you do a lot of like social and and diversity mm-hmm. like like events and 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 talking like among, like that mm-hmm. I mean again like that to me is what's inspiring about you not just about your artwork which I think is inspiring mm-hmm. just on on itself but the fact of the work sure. you're doing you know right right and you know the thing is having grown up in three public housing communities in Nashville uh my parents always expected excellence in our schoolwork and everything else that we did. And so I was never raised to, you know, have any kind of hatred or anything like that toward anybody. And so I'm I'm so appreciative of having that kind of foundation. And so because I'm familiar with people like John Sigenthaler, who was involved in the civil rights movement, you know, and as a white man, you know, took punishment because he was out there trying to mark people and help out. You know, I'm truly an individual who believes in the human race and that we all, you know, have contributions that we've made to society. And there's no reason why we can't continue working toward a better society. But the key to me is reaching young people at an early age and instilling in them the importance of respecting themselves and respecting other people and working together to create you know, harmony in society because, you know, the violence and the other stuff that we're experiencing in society, you know, we can't, we can't live in a war zone because it's just so crazy that, um, with all the, um, opportunities that exist out there and collaboration is one of the best tools when people come together, pool their resources and their ideas and see what kind of progress can be made through that process. And so, you know, I've always, you know, I look at people like Megar Evers down in Mississippi who, you know, went to the military, survived the military, but then came back and was killed because he was just trying to, you know, register people to vote with yeah. the NAACP. So I'm fully aware of historical figures and all um, walks of life who sacrifice to try to make the world a better place. And so it's almost like uh, a a responsibility to try to continue that legacy and the things that that I do. And I, I'm, I'm fortunate and blessed that for me it's you know, through art, but also, you know, here's this kid who, when he had to make a speech in the seventh grade shook so bad that my whole audience felt sorry for me. Who's now a, you know, much requested speaker who's traveled the world speaking to different groups of uh, youth and adults and other people about, how my journey um, as an artist, but also as a diversity and inclusion director for a global construction company and how you try to create opportunities for women, veteran and minority owned businesses. And so just seeing the impact that that has on people is just something that, you know, I really feel good about in terms of being able to uh, make a contribution to other people's lives that impacts it in a very special way. And that's nothing better that it just happened three days ago. A guy came up to me and said, you spoke at my high school 30 years ago, and it made all the difference in the world in terms of how I lived the rest of my life. I'm like, dude, 30 years ago? Okay, thanks for <laughs> You didn't have to tell me the time. Yes. So, <laughs> right. No, but, but I mean, said, I, like that, that right there, like that is worth everything to me mm-hmm. like i mean i yep. you know not to like spin off but it's like when i have a student sure. come up to me and say something like that like it just means the world like absolutely and yeah. I, like i think that like again like you're you're changing society not just through i like your paintings again because i think <laughs> your paintings are are these stories. And, and I think like when people stand in front of them, because again, I saw one of yours in person. I, at, I can't remember the name of the gallery. Do you, uh-huh. do you show the gallery like down in downtown? Um, yeah. I'm in Jove Arts Gallery. Yes, on that was it. Yep. Uh, yeah. And, and so I saw, and it's just like, it was immediate, like immediate impact to me that you mm-hmm. get absorbed by it. And I think that that right there is changing society because of that. But then, then for you to go out and do these, 
lectures and and speeches and talking and and dealing with individuals and groups and stuff. It's just like those things you, you can't like not. I don't see not many people can do that, but maybe not many people can do that, but not a lot of people do do that. And I uh -huh. think those, that's the way that we change people, you know? No question. Yeah. No question about it. It's, uh, it's just, I don't know. Like I just, I, I, you know, I don't know if people say thank you a lot, but thank you for what you're doing because I think it it is, it's impactful. And, you know, like, and I think about Andrew um, Marinus, mm -hmm. who we were, you know, connected through and you know through mm -hmm. his books like his books are like right. always like have these very very important messages behind them like you know no like question. the stories that like that not everybody knows about like you know the like and i'm forgetting the name of the the one that i had when he it was about the um about the olympics the hitler olympics and you know uh -huh. like and everybody knows that for for jesse and i'm a buckeye a proud mm -hmm. buckeye so i'm a big mm -hmm. you know right um and, and, but, you know, like talking about the basketball team and like all the stuff that like they went to, and it's just those, those yeah. things. And like, so I think like, like what you're doing is like, you are keeping these things alive and, and to mm -hmm. talk about, because mm -hmm. while we are a lot better as a society than we were 50 years ago, we're still not there, you know? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an ongoing uh, it's an ongoing progression of work and efforts and, you know, connecting with people and just doing what you can. You know, people say, you know, my little effort don't count, but it's a collective yep. of uh, efforts on a lot of people's parts that can start to uh, make the kind of changes that we want to see. And, you know, as, as bad as some things seem to be getting, I stay encouraged that there's still enough people who are interested in trying to make a difference in a positive way. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's what I continue to focus on. And I enjoy doing it as well, you know, because when you can see the light turn on in a kid's eye, when you let him know that, you know, even though you might be living in a certain scenario right now, it doesn't mean that's the rest of your life, you know, yeah. and how you use your mind and your skills to improve your situation. And a lot of kids, uh, took that advice to heart and did exactly that in terms of changing their lives. So nothing feels better than knowing that you had that kind of impact. Yep. Did you, you said you were um, one of six kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did anybody else in your family where is anybody else an athlete or artist or were you kind of the outlier? <laughs> no, I had, uh, it was four boys and two girls and, um, all my brothers played sports, and then I had one sister who played uh, basketball. Uh, I had a couple of siblings that showed artistic skills, but they didn't like it as much as I did, so they stopped doing it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we were all, you know, I mean, we came from an athletic family because my dad uh, had three brothers, and they all played, you know, football and basketball and were well-known for their sports. And then even my grandfather, was a you know outstanding baseball player and then my grandmother's um, brother my dad's mother's brother he um, was a um, all-pro baseball player for the negro league and when baseball season was over he became a champion golfer during golf season his name was doc Dent, but he is a legendary athlete here in nashville for being proficient in baseball Golf. He just came along at a time where he couldn't play in the uh, mainstream sports or else he would have been a, a, a tremendous champion yeah. uh, during the time. But then, you know, that legacy is being passed on because um, I have a daughter that's uh, at uh, the University of Maryland Eastern Shore on a golf scholarship. That's and awesome. so awesome. grew up understanding that, you know, you come from a legacy of good golfers. And so you know, it's in your blood to uh, excel at this sport because I didn't think they were assertive enough to be basketball players, even though they were going to be tall. So, you know, I discovered golf late in life. And so I said, I'm not going to make that mistake with my kids. I'm going, I got two daughters. And so I put golf clubs in their hands really early because I had this vision of being like uh, the uh, Venus and Serena of golf. <laughs> <laughs> and so my youngest daughter, who was really good, she decided she didn't want to play anymore. 
Like, okay, you just robbed me of the chance of Will Smith playing me in a booth. <laughs> so, That's classic. Yeah, but, um, you know, we come from an athletic family, so yeah. I wasn't surprised that my siblings, um, you know, excelled as well. My brother, Terry, played at MTSU, played football mm-hmm. at MTSU. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, you know, like, first of all, thank you. Like, this... I, I feel like we could talk all day long because I just I I really love hearing your stories because I I think I just think it, like what you do is like really really impactful. But I, uh-huh. I, I kind of like winding down. I guess it, like what what do you give me like a ten year plan? Like just continue <laughs> to like exhibit work. Just continue to do what you're doing. Um, I I want to like just to throw this in there like we do exhibits every once in a while like we work with the NFL uh, Players Association so we do some stuff during the Super Bowl I would love uh-huh. to like get some get something from you at some point in time and we we do other exhibitions at different stuff and like I just think again like what you're doing like fits so perfectly into what we're doing and what you talk about and how you talk about it um, it it. If you if you would want to do that at some point in time, and you did something oh, like I think I said to you like uh, when we talked the other day, um, we'd actually talked about to Vanderbilt about doing an exhibition at a basketball game. So I thought it was great that you did that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would absolutely welcome the opportunity cool. to participate in something like that. You know, aside from the other images that I do, uh, I also specialize in sports art as well. Yep. So. You know, I feel like I bring something to the table in having played sports in terms of being accurate with uniforms and different things like that. And so, um, yeah, I let me actually I can show you something right quick. I, I love doing sports related art. And so when I'm doing different art shows, because I know there are a lot of fans and stuff. Yep. Uh, this is like, oh, nice. I do like nice. these type. Yeah, Titans helmets. Yep. And I do, you know, uh UT. This is a this is a TSU helmet that I did here. I'll have to send you an image. Our yeah. um one of the guys we work with, Percy King, um uh-huh. he he knows Eddie George and he actually did a piece of Big John for Eddie. Oh. Eddie commissioned him to do a piece. It was really cool. I'll have to see if I can find it and I'll text it to you. Um, yeah, Ed, Ed is a friend. I've done uh, I've done a couple of paintings of Eddie that uh, one of them he has in his home, and he had one in his restaurant. But um, yeah, he he is a good guy, man. I'm telling you, I really I enjoyed. Used to, <laughs> I used to see Eddie because I played baseball at Ohio State. Um, uh-huh. mm-hmm. Actually, before he was there, but my I used I started singing in a band. As a matter of fact, that this you'll love this. I actually sang on stage with a guy that played bass. Um, with Miles Davis on his last album. So and, no I, and, like, in my head, I was like on stage singing, going, I am oh one God. degree of separation from Miles. Like it was crazy to me, like to think that, Man. you know, his Did name I- is, his name I- is Foley. He played on Miles Davis's last album called Doobop, I think was the name of it. Bebop. Bebop. Yep. 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 It doesn't get any better than that, man. No, Good. It was crazy. <laughs> no, but I used to see Eddie. Awesome. Eddie used to, uh, he used to have an, I think he lived in this apartment above this club that we used to play at. So he would be down downstairs having a drink every once in a while while my band was playing. It was great. No. And he, Eddie's, Eddie's an, an artist athlete too. Like he actually yeah. studied, I mean, he's, first of all, he's an actor and he, and you know, right. like, and, but he also, I believe when he was at Ohio state originally, he was like studying landscape architecture or something yeah. like that. And so when I worked for the construction company, we actually, um, work with Eddie on a couple of projects. Yep. So, man, you're talking about a renaissance, man. That yep. dude is something else, man, in terms of just being a well-rounded individual, but very approachable. That's the thing that I respect well, about him. Well, if you him. see him, tell him I want him on the podcast because it's called The Abstract Athlete because of The Austin. Right. How <laughs> about it. Yep. But yeah, any kind of art-related project that you think that, you know, I could contribute to, I'm more than happy to participate and appreciate the invitation to do so. Well, and we, we have, we just launched a subscription box, um, literally at the Super Bowl. So we just like are getting this stuff together because my uh-huh. business, my business partner, um, well, two business, my one business partner, um, is a designer and he's actually started two toy companies 
So mm-hmm. he sold both of them, but he still works with the second one. So we actually have international distribution. Um, uh-huh. We actually put together a kit with Percy King um, of like that's based on his artwork. And then this subscription box that's coming out that, you know, like we want to work with athletes on mm-hmm. like doing different projects within the box. So I think you're again, like you're a perfect person because of like, again, like this relationship to sports and painting right. and blah, blah, blah. And I think it's something down the road. We could do something like in the box, which would be like really, really impactful and cool. And again, like, I think because of the work you're doing, like in terms of diversity and clues, you Mm -hmm. know, it's like, I, it's just, it's stuff like that, that I think holds way more weight to it. And I, so I, I'm, I'm like really excited to think in my, my head's like going a hundred miles an hour right now, thinking about different ways we can work together. Absolutely. I welcome the opportunity to do so. Yeah. So, well, um, again, I, I'm so glad that we finally met. First of all, um, I do always ask what, cause I always put music to, uh, the podcast. Um, what kind of music do you like? Cause I'll, I'll probably write something, um, just on garage band, but anything in Man, particular? I, I love smooth jazz. Okay. Uh, Brian Culberson is one of my favorites, but really Ron, I listen to all types of music when I cool. painted, you know? I listen to different types of music to create different moves. Yep. Uh, Robert Glasper is another favorite of mine. And so uh, my absolute favorite is uh, smooth jazz, but uh, okay. like, I'll, yeah. Yeah. I'll come up with something um, and I'll throw yep. it together. And like I oh, said, cool. I'll, I'll, um, I always uh, put together a couple promo things, like a couple snippet videos and a a couple images from here and I'll send them to you. It should be out in, I think three weeks. Um, I'll give you a heads up beforehand. And once I find this, uh, the big John thing, I'll send it to you. But I'm really like, as I said, I get super excited when I meet people that I really feel like I connect with. (laughs) So that's why I'm like all energetic and um, just really glad that Andrew put us together. I'm actually going to send him a message and say, thank you. Um, But again, like I look forward to doing some stuff in the future. And when we were already, I was just talking to somebody with the NFL uh, players association yesterday about the next Uh thing out in Vegas. And we're already starting to kind of come up with ideas, but I'd love to have something out there with you and stuff. No so. question. One of my one of my Vandy teammates is president of the uh, local chapter of the NFLPA, Wayman oh, cool. Bugs. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Good yeah. guy. But man, um, you know, I really enjoyed, you know, participating today. I appreciate the questions and being able to reflect on some things that were really uh, special moments in my life. So no, I'm happy I, to I, as I said, I feel like I could talk to you all day, but I know you're a busy guy. So, because you're, you're to me like doing research and looking, it's just like, wow, like you've done yeah. some stuff and it's like, but no, um, and we'll, we'll stay in touch otherwise. Um, because I, again, like, I feel like I just, as a painter myself, like I, yeah. that's one of mine back there, actually. I'm, I'm oh, more, okay. more into the abstract thing, but, um, yeah, but I'm inspired, I'm inspired by, uh, I drive out West every year. Like I'm really out in Yellowstone all the time being inspired by nature and landscapes oh. and, and wildlife. Yeah. So, um, oh, so, that's great. so, but cool. Well, thank you, man. Have a great rest of the day. I'll be in touch. And, but, okay. Okay. Take care. Bye. just loved that conversation so much james is uh just such an inspiration as an artist as a human just what he's doing in the community and the world um and really you just you have to check out his work in person if you get the chance because it is just so alive and so vibrant uh really so excited to continue our conversation and hopefully show his work in the future again um, thank you to Andrew Marinus for the connection and make sure to follow James on Instagram at James Art or on Twitter at ThrillArt. Make sure to check out the other podcast on the Abstract Athlete Network. And remember, we just launched our seasonal subscription boxes. So stop by artistathletebox.com or theabstractathlete.com and start your journey today. Also, make sure to stop by our website or beginagaintoys.com. And you can check out our Percy King Collaborative Stacked Puzzle Art Kits. Thank you for listening to the Abstract Athlete Network podcast or network, whatever. We will see you next week. And as always, do not forget to exercise the body and do not forget to exercise the mind. Stay well out there.